0: now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Well, good morning, church. Um, Like Marty mentioned earlier, my name is Fisher, and I am the middle school pastor here. And I'm so excited to be preaching to you this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to turn to Daniel chapter six. Daniel chapter six is where we're gonna be. If you don't have your Bibles, it is completely fine. I'm gonna have the scriptures right up here on the screen for you. Um, As you're turning to Daniel chapter 6, most of you, as you get there, you're going to realize this is a very familiar passage to many of you in the room, and I acknowledge, I want to acknowledge that, but I hope that after this morning, you are able to see this uh, passage with some fresh eyes. But before we do anything, let us start this morning off with prayer. Father, I thank you so much for just waking us up this morning, for giving us the breath in our lungs. and the ability to be here in this room with other saints and other believers to worship you, to glorify you. And I pray as we open Daniel chapter six that you give us fresh eyes and the ability to see Jesus, to know him and to love him more as we read his word. Father, I pray for those in the room who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, that you open their eyes, you open their ears to the beauty and the goodness of the gospel. And God, that you soften their hearts in response to salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Before we dive into text this morning, I do have a question I want to ask you all. My question this morning for you is this. Do you like things that have foreshadowing in them? Anybody in the room like things that have foreshadowing in them? Now, you may be thinking to yourself in your pew right now, Fisher, I heard that word in fourth grade English, but I haven't really talked about it since, so I'm not really sure if I like that because I don't know what that is. I understand. I had to look up the definition So to give you a short definition, I have one for you. Foreshadow or a foreshadowing is a hint of someone or something coming in the future. Foreshadow is a hint of something or someone coming in the future. And I bring this up to you because as we dive into Daniel chapter 6 this morning, we are going to see that Daniel and the situation he finds himself in is actually a foreshadowing of someone and something much greater to come. I'm excited about it. But the reality is, uh, if you didn't answer the question earlier, I can tell you the answer. All of us in the room, we like a good foreshadowing. We love movies, books, TV shows, anything that has a story that includes foreshadowing because it's that moment where we get to the climax of the movie or the climax of the story, and we go, oh my gosh, how did I not see this coming? It makes sense now because your mind starts clicking together all of those little things that you saw or you read or you heard during the story, whether it was an object in the background or a conversation that was had or a flashback scene That you watched and you go man how did i not see this proposal coming this action scene coming or whatever it may be because it was right there in front of me the whole time everything was pointing right to this moment and we love that we love good stories with that if you're anything like me you love a good crime show or a good crime movie where you're trying to figure out you're looking at all the hints and clues but also the foreshadowing moments to figure out who did the the crime, who committed it before they tell you who it actually was. And we love that. So with that in mind, and as we look at Daniel chapter 6, with the idea that Daniel himself in the situation he finds himself in is a foreshadowing of someone and something greater to come, let's dive into the text. Let me quickly recap Daniel and his life so far through the first five chapters of his book. So you're caught up when we pull up in chapter six. So first chapter, we meet Daniel. Daniel is an Israelite, and he has now been captured by the Babylonians because the Babylonians have recently captured and taken over Jerusalem or the Israelites, God's people. And Daniel is taken back to Babylon and put into a three-year program to eat, sleep, drink and become a Babylonian and to eventually work for the king of Babylon. But during that three year stint, that program he was put through, Daniel decides to stand firm, to stand faithful to God. And because of that, God blesses him, blesses him with more wisdom than all the other wise men in the king's kingdom. So when we pick up after chapter one, Daniel has been working for the king for a couple a lot of years now. And he's experienced some crazy things. He's interpreted some really weird dreams that the king has had. He's actually experienced his friends being tossed in the fiery furnace, yet coming out alive without a burn on their body. He's interpreted some handwriting on a wall in chapter five that was to tell the king of Babylon that Babylon was about to be invaded and taken over by the Medes and Persians. So when we get to chapter 6, Babylon has now been taken over by the Medes and Persians. Darius is now the new king of the kingdom. And Daniel is right where he's always been, working for the king as a wise man, giving him advice for any decisions. So beginning in chapter 1, the account begins like this. It says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, And over them three high officials, of whom David was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. We know who that spirit was. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel is chosen as one of the three high officials to be over all of the other wise men in the kingdom. And Darius likes him so much that he wants to promote Daniel to being over the whole kingdom himself. Now, when the other officials, the other wise men catch wind of this promotion in Daniel's future, they begin to get jealous. And they set out to bring Daniel down. Or in 2020 term, 2023 terms, they set out to cancel Daniel. So what do they do? They begin to stalk him. They follow him around at the workplace and they follow him around at the public square and they follow him around at home and they're trying to find some dirt on Daniel because Daniel can't be perfect, right? They, he has to be doing something wrong that can, they can tell the king and would stop him from getting that promotion. But what these high officials end up finding out is that Daniel is actually a really good guy. And they can't find anything that Daniel does bad that they can tell the king. So instead of giving up, they come up with another plan. And this plan is to go to the king and have him sign a decree. A decree that states that everyone in the kingdom for 30 days can only worship the king. And if they break that decree, they are to be thrown in the lion's den because they do this they know if Daniel has to choose between serving God or serving the Persians, Daniel 10 out of 10 times is gonna choose serving God. And they take this decree to the king and guess what the king does? He signs off on it. Now, when we're reading that, we go, oh man, what is Daniel going to do? What is his response going to be? Is he gonna be worried? Is he gonna be frightened? Is he just not gonna pray for 30 days? What? Oh, excuse me. What is he going to do? Well, we get his response in verse 10. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel's response to the decree being signed, prayer. Just like he had always done, three times a day on his knees pointed towards Jerusalem, praying to his God. Once again, in the book of Daniel, we see Daniel live the life that God has called him to live, not the life that the world and the culture around him was telling him to live. Nothing is gonna stop Daniel from being in communion, being in conversation with his God. Now, going back to the story, they signed the decree, the king signs it, and what do the high, the jealous high officials do? They they lie and they wait to catch Daniel praying. And they finally catch him praying. And what do they do with this new information? They take off to King Darius and snitch on our friend Daniel. And when the king hears this news, he's actually really upset. Because remember, he really loves Daniel. He wanted to set him over the whole kingdom. He was thankful for Daniel. And so the king or Darius begins to try and find a loophole in this decree. Can he get Daniel out of this punishment? And sadly, he can't. He can't find anything. So Darius gives the orders that no one ever wants to hear. We read it in verses 16 and 17. It says, then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought, laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Daniel is thrown into the den, and what does the king do? He goes home. But the king is so anxious, so nervous that Daniel is going to die or that his God may actually save him, that he can't even sleep or eat that night. And he lies in his bed, tossing and turning, I'm sure, until the sun rises the next morning. And when it does, he takes off running to the lion's den. And when we pick up in verse 20, we see that as he's nearing the den, he begins to yell out to Daniel. It says, as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angels to shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I had done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel comes out of the den and he explains to the king, listen, I didn't do anything wrong in your eyes, Darius. I didn't do anything wrong before my God. And because of that, He shut the mouths of the lions. Look at me, there's not a scratch on me. They didn't even lick me because their mouths were shut the entire time. And now this chapter in the Bible is an amazing chapter. One of my favorite chapters in the whole book because it's it's full of stories of a man who is faithful to God, who is faithful to God even when it could cost him his life. He stands for what is right, and for what God caused him to do is a story of a God who's miraculous and saves his people in a time of need and proves to the world that he is better and greater than them. And I could go on and on and on this morning, preaching for days about applications from this text, if I inserted you and me in the place of Daniel in this account. I could stand up here and I could preach things like we are to be prayer warriors like Daniel, or we are to stay strong for Christ when, even when it costs us our life, or God meets his people in the worst situations and can save them from it. And I could preach those things and they might be true and they are true to some degree, but the reality is that none of us in the room, including me up here, are Daniel in this account we're not. And in fact, I think if we were honest with ourselves, if we were Daniel in this account, the story probably wouldn't have gone the same way. For some of us in the room, we would have just given up prayer, right? It's just 30 days. I'll read my Bible. I'll be fine. I don't have to pray. Gosh, for some of us in the room, it might not even have affected our prayer life in the first place. Life would have been normal. So the fact of the matter is that we aren't Daniel in this story. And I'm not gonna be up here preaching that we are to do like Daniel. We are to be Daniel because that's not the truth. The truth is, is that Daniel chapter six and Daniel in this story is a foreshadowing of Jesus. A foreshadowing of someone much greater than you and me and Daniel combined coming way before him and way, or way after him and way before us. And this is our my main point this morning. This is what I want you to understand this morning is that Jesus is the greater Daniel. Jesus is the greater Daniel. And I want us to, for a couple more minutes, I want us to look back at chapter six. And I want us to see how Daniel's life and his circumstances in this chapter actually really do foreshadow Jesus, his journey to the cross, his death and his resurrection for us. And I hope that after that, you will be able to truly understand and truly see in this chapter that Jesus is, in fact, the greater Daniel. The first thing I want to talk about the first moment of foreshadowing in this chapter is this, is that Daniel has officials plot against him to bring him down, and Jesus has officials plot against him to bring him down. Both of these men have high officials or officials plot against him to bring him down. Over and over again in the gospels, as we read them, we see the Pharisees plot against Jesus to bring him down. They're mad at what he's teaching. They're mad at what he's saying about himself and they wanna bring him down. But after Jesus' arrest, we get one last account of these officials, these high priests trying or plotting to bring Jesus down. We read it in Matthew 26, 59, it says, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. They have Jesus in the cuffs, in the jail cell, and they're, what are they doing? They're gathering together saying, well, let's get together, plot one more time. Can we find some people who can falsely testify against this man so we can po- finally put him to death? So just like Daniel, who has some officials jealous of him, Plot against him to bring him down. Our Jesus has officials plot against him to bring him down. But the story continues, right? Next, we see that Daniel was innocent, but charged as guilty. Jesus was innocent, but charged as guilty. Many of us in this room are familiar with the scene where Pilate is standing before the crowd, and he gives them two options. He says, you can free Barabbas or you can free Jesus. And they're given the option. Who do you want to free from arrest? Do you want to free Jesus, the son of God who is perfect and never sinned or broken a law? Or do you want to free Barabbas, who Matthew gives the title of notorious prisoner and Mark gives the title of murderer? Which one do you want to free? And what does the crowd choose? They choose Barabbas. And Pilate probably in shock and not understanding. He says, all right, Brabus, go on your way. And he has Jesus now. And so he asks a question again, or he asks a new question. What do I do with Jesus? And what does the crowd begin to shout? They shout, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate doesn't understand. We know he doesn't understand because as we look through his eyes in this moment, we see that Jesus, (coughs) excuse me, is in fact innocent being getting charged as guilty. What is Pilate's response to them shouting, crucify him? We read it in Matthew 27, 23. He says, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Daniel coming out of the den, tells Darius, I was blameless. I didn't do anything wrong before you, king. I didn't do anything wrong before you, God. Jesus, standing before the crowd, is charged as guilty, even though he is innocent. The next thing I want you to see is this, is that Daniel is thrown into a den. Jesus is thrown onto a cross. Both men in the story, in this account, are thrown to their death, but only one of them actually dies. And that's important, so I'm going to repeat it for you. Both of these men are thrown to their death, but only one of them actually dies. As the story continues, Daniel's den is covered. Jesus's tomb is covered. The Pharisees, for some reason, so scared that Jesus might actually rise from the grave three days later, like he's been preaching that he would, or that his friends, his disciples would come steal the body out of the tomb and say that he resurrected. Go, they go to Pilate and begin to beg him and say, Pilate, can we please get somebody to guard the tomb in case this happens? And what is Pilate's response? Matthew 27, 65, 66. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. The lion's den that Daniel's thrown in, covered by a stone. The tomb that our dead Savior's laying in, covered by a stone. Now, This next point, this next truth, this next foreshadowing moment, I'm about to put up on the screen and say to you, this is it. This is where we're gonna see our bottom line this morning come alive. This is where it all comes together. This is the biggest part, the most important part of the entire Bible. So pay attention. The next and last moment of foreshadowing in this story is this, is that Daniel walks out of the den and Jesus walks out of the tomb. Let me say that again. Daniel walks out of the den, and Jesus walks out of the tomb. Now, why is this so important? This is where our bottom line comes alive, because this scene in history is known by almost everyone. It's the climax, climax of the very Bible that we're reading this morning. It's when the Marys are on their way to see Jesus, who's been in the tomb for three whole days, and on their way there, as they're arriving to the tomb, all of a sudden, there's an earthquake, and the stone is rolled away, and an angel descends from heaven and appears to them and declares to them, right there in that moment, the very foundation of our faith. What does this angel declare to the Marys? This is what he says, Matthew 28:6. he is not here, for he has risen as he said, come, see the place Where he lay. Church, this is where the bottom line this morning comes alive. This is where we see that Jesus is, in fact, greater than Daniel. Because when Jesus walks out of that tomb, he didn't walk out escaping the jaws and pains of death. Unlike Daniel, who did. Remember this story? Daniel comes out of the den and says, Darius, look at me. Look, I don't have a scratch on my body. They didn't even nibble on me. They didn't lick me. Their mouths were shut by the angel my God sent. When our Jesus walks out of the tomb, what does he do? He appears to his disciples and he says, What? Look at my side where they pierced me. Feel the holes in my hands where they nailed me to the cross. And why does he do that? He does that to show them, listen, not only did I die on that cross to pay the price for the sins of my people, but three days later, I resurrected from the grave, defeating death forever, giving us opportunity to put our faith and trust in him and have life with him forever. That is why Jesus is the greater Daniel. And here is the good news for us in this room this morning, the good news is that Jesus didn't die and rise again just for the Daniels of this world, just for the super believers, just for those who you look at like, look at and their lives seem to be perfect, just for those who you look like look at and their face seems to never be shaken no matter what circumstances they're going through, those whose lives you look at and you could stalk like the. Jealous high officials stalk Daniel, and you come to the same conclusion. They're faithful in every aspect of their life. No, Jesus didn't come just to save those people. Jesus came to save the broken, the messed up, the dirty, the sinful, like you and like me. And that is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus himself talking to the religious leaders of his day who are mad at him for spending time with the outcasts of their culture responds to them by saying what? I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Our Jesus came to save the lost. And that includes you and that includes me, the sinful, the broken, the messed up, the ones in need of a savior. And that is the beauty of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So as we read Daniel chapter six, we don't come to the conclusion that I stand before God or you stand before God and we say, I have to live like Daniel. I have to be faithful like Daniel. I have to do like Daniel. And just maybe if I'm close enough like him, then Jesus will love me. Or if I'm good enough like Daniel, then maybe, just maybe, Jesus will save me. No, church. As we read Daniel, as we read chapter 6, we read it to see Jesus, the greater Daniel. The one who died on the cross for you and for me and resurrected three days later, defeating death. It is through him that we are saved from our sins, It is through him and only him that we are made right in the Father's eyes once again. So, as we leave this room this morning, as we walk out the doors and we begin to go back into life, the normal ordained things of our everyday lives, and we begin to face the trials that many of us are in this room are going through, Heartache, the brokenness of this world, and we begin to walk right back into them. We don't walk through them saying, I must be like Daniel through this, and maybe Jesus will save me. We don't tell our troubled hearts through whatever circumstances you're facing, that if I can follow Daniel's footsteps in this situation I find myself in, then just maybe, just maybe, fingers crossed, my God will save me from my lion's den situation too. No. We tell our troubled hearts to look to Jesus, to look to the one who gives peace that surpasses all understanding, the one who calls you and me friend the one who draws near to the brokenhearted, the one who was the spotless and blameless lamb that was slain for you and for me. We look to Christ. We look to who Peter proclaims in 1 Peter chapter one, 20 through 21. We look to him who was what? Who was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of who? the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So your faith and hope are in God. That is who we look to in our trials. That is who we look to when we wake up. That is who we look to, Jesus. And in Daniel chapter six, we see Jesus. We read about Jesus. Why? Again, lastly, because Jesus is the greater Daniel. That's why. So as I conclude this morning, I want to address two groups of people in this room. First group I want to address is the believers. Those who have already put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the saints in the room. What I want to tell you this morning is be encouraged, that you don't have to be like Daniel for God to save you. You don't have to meet that standard. I want to challenge you to be encouraged by looking to Jesus, the one who lived the perfect life that you couldn't live, who died the death that you deserved, and resurrected three days later, defeating death and giving you life. Look to Him as you leave this room. Praise Him and worship Him with every breath in your lungs that He blesses you with, because you don't know when it's gonna end. Know Him and love Him. I challenge you, look to Christ. The other group I want to address is the unbelievers, those in the room who do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I wanna challenge you to do the same thing. Look to Christ. Stop looking to the American dream. Stop looking to your finances. Stop looking to your abilities. Stop looking to your job. Stop looking to the world to bring you peace, to bring you happiness, to bring you hope, to bring you life, because you know it's all a scam. And deep down in your heart, you know that because you keep chasing that thing, yet you're never fulfilled and you always deep down, you know that there's more. Look to Christ. Your soul is in dire need of a savior. Someone who can save you from your sin and set you free. And put you back in right relationship with the creator of the universe, the creator of you and the creator of me who wants to be in relationship with you. And this morning, that savior is no one but Christ. Not you, not Daniel, not me, it's Christ. Look to him. I plead, don't leave this room until you've done that. You don't know if you have 30 minutes left of life or 30 years left of life, put your faith and trust in him. I want you to have that 30 whatever with him. There's going to be people up here at the stage when we go into worship after I pray. And if this morning you're going through a hard time and you need to look to Christ, come up here and pray with somebody. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, come up here. If you just need to reaffirm that, come up here. Go to him. I encourage every single person in this room, look to Christ. Let us pray. Father, I thank you once again for this morning, for the breath in our lungs. May we not take it for granted. I thank you for opening us, open our eyes and giving us a fresh glimpse at your word this morning in Daniel chapter six. The ability to see Jesus and see that he is in fact the greater Daniel. I pray this, this morning that as we leave this room, that we look to Christ. We look to him who died the death we deserve. But three days later, rose from that grave, defeating death and giving us life. For those in the room who don't know you this morning, Christ, please open their eyes, open their ears, soften their hearts, and may they look to you for salvation. As in Jesus' name I pray, amen.